Um, the, the world would tell us that when you get a good parking spot or a good Black Friday deal that you are hashtag blessed. It, that's, that's fine. That's, it's cute. It's, I'm not like even bashing it so much as I just wanted to um, point out in this series that while, while the world around us would just look for favorable circumstances and uh, like anything that is, makes your life easier or better would be considered a blessing for you. In fact, the scriptures teach us that we can choose blessing in so many different areas of our lives. So we've been walking through that together. And here's the last one in our series this morning. And I'm going to start with a confession. If you don't know me very well, this will be news to you, and, and maybe you'll be disappointed at how very, very shallow I am as a human. Uh, but if you, know, if you already know me, if you know me pretty well, you already know this, and you're like, yeah, I've known this for a long time. Just don't ask Pastor Erin about it, okay, because like, she'll have too many stories from when we're kids. But um, uh, I, my confession is this. I, 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 love to know, I love to know everything, like everything. And if you leave me to my own devices, I will find out what I want to know. <laughs> I'm really good at it. When I was a kid, uh, the church that my dad was pastoring, uh, this was uh, the first few years they were at that church, I was going through some really difficult things. And I was pretty young, so I didn't really understand everything that was going on. But I knew something was up because I could, you know, you, you know even though kids are perceptive, right? You can feel it. You can tell something is up and that there were some difficult things going on. But my parents never told me anything, appropriately so, because I was too young and it didn't matter. And it was none of my business. But that's not how I saw things, of course. Sometimes, actually, it's not sometimes, a lot of times. My parents would talk in code at the dinner table. And it was like, oh, did you meet with... Mm, yeah, yeah. And how did that go? Well, you know, who, who? What was the problem? Like, I was, yeah, I wasn't even that old, and I remember being so annoyed, so annoyed with that. Pastor's kids, as I was, PKs, um, are always the first in and the last out of the building uh, at church on Sunday. And I remember one Sunday, I don't know if I've ever told my parents this. I, maybe I have. Well, they're going to know now. I remember, <laughs> I remember one Sunday when... Uh, I saw some people go into my dad's office after the service, and I knew it wasn't good. Like, you can just see there was a problem. And the main office to the church, uh, just like here, was right outside of my dad's office. And so there wasn't a lot of people around, so I just, like, slinked in <laughs> and sat down in the secretary's chair and just, like, rolled it over to his door to see if I could figure out what was going on. That is a legit... I probably was eight or nine years old. I remember it. Just, did you, I ever tell you guys that? <laughs> I was too young to actually people probably even understand what the problem was. Do you know what I mean? But for some reason, I just had to know. I was so obsessed with eavesdropping on all the conversations. I had to know what the fuss was all about. In the house I grew up in... Um, the staircase that went from the upstairs to the main floor wasn't a railing, it was like a pony wall, like a half wall, like drywalled in so you couldn't see through it, which was so excellent for my addiction to knowing everything. Because what I, what I would do a lot, like a lot, I think my parents know about this, I'm not sure if they know how, the extent of it, uh, I'm not exaggerating for the sake of this message, I'm telling you the truth. I would just really quietly go to the top of the stairs and then lay down and then just slink down the stairs. <laughs> so that my whole body was hidden by the wall, and I would just listen to all the things. Did you guys know about that? No. <laughs> 
a lot. Like I did it a lot. I was like, what's going on? They can't. And I was so quiet, like they couldn't see me. And I would just like lay on the stairs so I could hear everything that was happening on the main floor. This is a problem. I'm telling you, I told you I was confessing. I have a problem. I want to know all the things. I just always want to know what's going on. And I'm not so sure what's so broken in me. Maybe some of you relate to that. Some of you are like, that is weird. Either way, fine. It's cool. I'm just telling you, like, that's just part of who I am, that I have to know all the things. I don't know why. Um, and I, I will say that it's more accurate to say I'm not totally sure what was so broken in me that I had to know all the things. And there's a bit of a past tense here for a reason because something has happened in me over the past several years to change this fact about me, like, somewhat. <laughs> somewhat. I still like to know all the things. Uh, I, I started to realize something, and this is probably just, just uh, a thing about getting older. I started to realize something as I got older is that people's drama is exhausting. Because <laughs> the more you know, the more you know. Do you know what I mean? I started to figure that out, and I guess I figured it out the hard way. I started to realize that that is not great. And what, what they, like whoever, what they think about you or what, they, what is happening here or what, they th what people think about this or that or the other thing, what's going on here and, and there and everywhere, it's too much. Like, if you know all the things, it's too much. And I started to realize that uh, as I got older. I'm still a very, very curious person. I, I really am. You know this about me. And if you've ever said something to me, um, how often I will say to you, oh, interesting, say more about that. Yeah. I don't apologize for that. I will continue to say that. You don't have to answer the question, but I will ask it. Because I, I do, in this position, of course, in this vocation, I care very much about people's lives. So I'm going to say that's the, that's, that's the, I'm redeeming that in, in some kind of way. I really do care very much about people's lives and what's going on in their hearts. And uh, that's this vocation. I, but I, I, do, I do find myself, thankfully, as, an, uh, as, I, as I age, being able to walk away from the chance to listen in or overhear things way more often than my natural wiring would suggest is reasonable. And so why is this? Why, like, other than the, that age and stage, maybe the wisdom, I, 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 I was thinking about this in this context of our, of our series, and I, I, I realized that I, I have to, I've been purposely reminding myself that I don't need to know everything. And if there is something that I need to know, I will almost certainly be told. Because I don't need to run after drama, it will find me. Right? You don't have to run after it. It will find you. You can't escape it in life. And I also realized, I've been realizing something about myself over the past several years, which has been good. This is a Jesus thing in me. I know that because I would not do this on my own wiring. Is that when I need to know everything, it's because I think that knowledge will help me control things. Like I can manage things better if I know everything. Everything's more manageable for me. And the older and maybe hopefully wiser I get, I realize that control is a fantasy. The only control I have is over myself, my own decisions, and my behaviors, and how I will trust God. And I can't do that for you, or the person sitting beside you, or anyone off campus, or anyone in the world. And the only one who actually has control is God. So thankfully, I'm learning some things as I get older. And I just have given away the ending of this message, and I'm okay with it, but that's where we're going. Because in this series, we've been talking about how we can not only be um, blessed by God, because we are blessed by God, 
Just knowing Jesus is a huge, incredible, life-changing blessing from God. But that scripture shows us over and over again that it's not just about being hashtag blessed. It's about the fact that we can choose to live a blessed life. We can literally choose blessing by doing life God's way. The first week we talked about um, obedience to Christ being the pathway to a blessed life. In in general sense, uh, we talked about last week the financial blessing that comes from doing our finances God's way and how his way works. I think it was, I think it was uh, in our testimony, I think Frank said, God is the best financial planner that there is. Maybe it was, uh, maybe it was Nate, either one. Well, somebody said, somebody said, I'm like, right, uh, that when you do it God's way, um, there's a, there is a blessing for you. So I want to talk today about how to be relationally blessed, or we can call it subtitle, The Drama-Free Life which is not possible, drama will always find you, but like the less, the less drama life, the less drama life. So let's look at the scriptures and see what they say about this and that how they can help us in how to be relationally blessed when we do it God's way. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you are on new version, the Bible app with us, you can go to more and then events and you can see these scriptures loaded up for you there already. Of course, it'll be on the screen for you and there's some Bibles in front of you if you'd like that. We'll read this, and then we're going to tear it apart a little bit and see how we can apply this to our lives. So 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 7. Peter writes this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That's an amazing statement. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God might may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Peter is writing this letter to the Christians who are scattered throughout the provinces of Asia Minor in and around, uh, probably around 60 AD. And let me tell you something about Peter, if he's not a familiar character to you, he is super qualified to talk about this topic. He is super qualified to talk to us about being uh, living in blessing in your relationships because this guy knows what it means to live in drama. He's the king of drama in the New Testament. Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends, and, uh, and it was always on his inner circle. It was like, Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter, um, like, I'm one of Jesus' like, super, super close friends. And Jesus also looked at him and called him Satan, all right? So this is the same. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan, he said to him. You know, like, this is the same guy. Peter's the one who spoke up for the group so often. And by the way, Peter gets a lot of flack for this, but he always seems to be the first one to speak and say something. And then you'll notice that the scripture says, Peter said, bleh, whatever. And then it says, and the other disciples thought the same thing as well, right? But like if Peter was the guy who always said the thing, and he was also the one, he was the one who declared that Jesus was the Messiah, he was the one who said it out loud and declared it for all of them. And then he was also the one who stepped out of the boat in faith. He was also the one who started to drown after he stepped out of the boat, you know? He was the one who um, denied Jesus and cut off a guy's ear, and he got it wrong over and over and over again. And Peter also was like the, 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 the foundation, like the, the pillar of, the, of church leadership. He, so, so much happened in his life and ministry after the death and resurrection of Jesus. He was, he was like the, the main character in the early church. 
Like this guy knew what all sides of this story was like. This is who's writing this. And here he writes to these believers with some amazing instructions. He starts by setting the stage with this. The end of all things is near. And this is the first thing we have to understand if we want a relationally blessed, maybe drama-free or drama less drama life, is this. We have to understand in all things, we are here temporarily. We will die or Jesus will return, but in the light of eternity, the end is near. We have to keep that perspective. I know the days can feel long. I know the seasons can feel long. But the time that we actually have here is very short. Most things are not worthy of the worry that we spend on them. When we take those seven words, the end of all things is near, and use them as a filter for every conversation and every situation we find ourselves in, it helps us to walk in a healthy way. It helps us to be able to more easily discern what actually needs to have priority in our lives. Scripture then says to be alert. Be, the end of all things is near, so be alert or be sensible or maybe even more closely in the, in the Greek, preserve your sanity. And turn off your phones just in case it goes off in the middle of service. Just don't, just, I don't know who you were, so I'm not even embarrassing you. I don't even know who you were. That's fine. Off campus, turn off those phones. Okay, they're distracting. Oh, no, don't. You're probably watching search with that. Yeah, don't do that. Turn off your ringer. Do not disturb. That's what you're looking for. Scripture says to be alert, which literally means preserve your sanity. Think about that. Keep things in their proper proportions and see what things are important and what are not. You have to preserve your sanity. It's an active thing. So don't be caught up in unbalanced emotions. And also don't be caught up in unconcerned indifference. Understand the difference. Preserve your sanity. Be alert. And you can see why he ties this right away with this phrase, the end is near. And he says, the end is near, therefore be alert. Therefore be alert. You must preserve your sanity in a crazy world. You must be sensible in an unsensible world with unsensible people. You have to be alert to those things. That's what he's saying. Then he says, be of sober mind. So he's like he's saying, preserve your sense of self-restraint. Preserve your sense of self-control. There is in the Greek this idea of, in both of those phrases of preserving, like actively watching for those things. And he says specifically here, do these things, preserve these things so that you can preserve your prayer life. Being sane and sober so that your prayers will be appropriate and effective and perhaps Honestly, you'll be able to pray, God, let your will be done because you have that perspective. So the end of all things is near. We go back to that scripture. Therefore, with that perspective, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. Preserve your sanity. Preserve your sense of self-control, your self-restraint. Preserve it so that you can pray. So that you can pray. Verse 7 reads, maybe, the end of all things is near, so preserve your sanity and your sense of self-control so you can properly pray. In other words, fight for perspective in all things, and then see what becomes clear to you in your life and your relationships. From that place, Peter then says, above all, with, with, that, with that mindset, above all, love each other deeply. 
And here's another preserve word, preserve your love. Love one another consistently with a love that doesn't give up or fail. Uh, you maybe have heard the different terms in the Greek for love. We have one word, love, uh, in the English, but in the Greek there was many words for love. Here it's agape love, which you may have heard talked about before. That's the unselfish, faithful, committed love. That's an act of the will and not the emotions. He's saying to love each other deeply with this kind of love, with this unselfish, faithful, committed love, that 1 Corinthians 13 love that you may have heard that scripture uh, read and quoted all over the place. It says we're called to love with this kind of unselfish and faithful and committed love deeply. And that word means, this is an interesting one, which it, I feel like it just lost its uh, effect in the English, which is why I love to study the scriptures, it really is more closely uh, translated as to be stretched. So love each other in a way that's, that has to be stretched. That's kind of the picture here. Do you see that? So agape love, this kind, of, uh, this kind of love we're talking about, is being constantly stretched to the limits by the demands that are made on it, and that's what makes it so beautiful. It's not abandoned when things become difficult. It's not abandoned when things become inconvenient. It always is able to stretch to cover the thing that needs to be covered. That's what he's saying, to love each other deeply, to love unselfishly and faithfully in a way that can be stretched. And it says, why, here? Because it needs to cover over a multitude of sins. Now listen, Peter is not writing to Christians about the world. Though I, I think the principle still applies, don't get me wrong. Peter is writing uh, to Christians about Christians when he says these things. So bear in mind that what we learn to do here, we're concluding you off campus, you're in my circle here, Okay? What we learn to do here amongst ourselves in the church, how we handle these relationships, how we learn to love each other, how we learn to let this agape love cover and stretch to cover a multitude of sins will inform then the rest of our relationships. It's like the practicing ground. It helps to inform how we can, how we can know how to deal with our families and our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors. How we handle these relationships informs how we handle those relationships. And when we let them inform those relationships, it shows the world what Jesus is like. So we, we practice it amongst ourselves. This idea of covers a multitude of sins means literally what you think it does, like overlooks many sins and offenses. It could also mean that, that God's love covers over a multitude of our sins, but either way that you look at this passage, it, it helps us. We talked about this a few months ago, that when we, we truly understand the depths of what we have been forgiven, we freely offer forgiveness, and we are commanded to do so in Scripture. And if we can't forgive others what they have, how they have offended us, it does point to the fact in our lives that we have not understood how much we've been forgiven of. And I, that's a, a hard reality because you might think that someone's offense against you is worse than your offense against them or against anyone else. But the truth is we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when we recognize that about ourselves, we are able to offer forgiveness to others without judging who's worse or who's whatever. We just walk in the grace that we've received. That's what they're saying here. 
That love can, that kind of love that comes from God can cover over a multitude of sins, be stretched to cover. And it's, uh, it's, it's right here. It's right here in the body of Christ. It's right here in the church that we practice this kind of grace. Theoretically, we try to practice this kind of grace, and we, even if we get it wrong, other people are helping us and covering over a multitude of our sin and helping us along the way as we grow and are stretched in this area. A few of the commentators I read on this passage, I just, I just thought the way that they expressed this was so beautiful, so I'm going to read it to you a couple of things that I thought were really helpful. From the Holman New Testament commentary, it says this, one of the most difficult and inconvenient times to extend love is when someone in the church has hurt or wronged us. We must demonstrate a love that is willing to be stretched because love covers over a multitude of sins. Covers means willing to forgive. The present tense indicates that which is to be constantly true in the life of the believer. Love does not ignore the reality of personal sin any more than it justifies or condones sin. Confrontation of sin is appropriate and necessary, especially when we demonstrate love. However, it is just as important to demonstrate a willingness to forgive and then to move on. Forgiveness, like love, is an act of the will, a personal choice. William Barclay says, Christian love is not an easy, sentimental reaction. It demands everything an individual possesses of mental and spiritual energy. It means loving the unlovely and the unlovable. It means loving in spite of insult and injury. It means loving when love is not returned. New Testament commentary says, where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses, and even some large ones, are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion, and every action is liable to misunderstanding, and conflicts abound to Satan's perverse delight. So we have to guard ourselves. We have to keep this eternal perspective that when we look at one another, we practice this kind of love amongst one another, that we understand that while we will offend others and they will offend us, we will hurt others and they will hurt us, when we keep the eternal perspective, we keep our minds uh, preserved of our sanity and our self-control, then we're able to look and understand what we've received and through the grace of Jesus be able to offer to others the kind of forgiveness and love that has been poured into our lives through Christ. Scripture then offers us uh, a few ways to act this out here in 1 Peter. It says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling and basically, and serve others. Uh, you are stewarding or managing God's grace in its various forms. We talked about stewardship last week when it came to our finances, but this idea of stewarding, I love that phrase, being able to manage or steward or be a vessel of God's grace in its various forms. That's what we do when we offer this kind of love to people, when we serve them, when we offer hospitality to them, when we come and meet people where they are, we are literally some, somebody, we are bringing God's grace into a situation. Have you ever known that? When you have somebody into your home, you are literally an instrument of the grace of God to them. When somebody hurts you and, they, and, and maybe they come to you and ask forgiveness, maybe they don't, but you offer love and grace and forgiveness, you are literally an instrument of the grace of God in their lives. They can see who Jesus is through your actions and attitudes. It's pretty, incre it's pretty incredible. 
And this is not because you're awesome, though you actually are. I love you and you're awesome. It's because Jesus is awesome. And he does this in and through us. And he gives us the power to do it. It's pretty incredible. You are stewarding or managing God's grace in its various forms in these ways. So you have to act this out, this love and grace, by serving those around you, Scripture says. Oh, and by the way, do it without complaining. I like how Peter just slides that in there. <laughs> do it and don't complain about it, okay? Nobody wants to hear that. I don't know. I don't know. He just slid it right in there. It's not begrudgingly. Again, it's about the attitude of the, of the mind and heart to say, oh, man, like this is what I have to give. This is the, maybe even the small offering that I have. This is, this is where I am or this is what I can do or this is how I can serve. I'm not begrudgingly doing it. I'm doing it because of the way that Jesus has served me in my life. And it is my joy to find these ways to, to serve others. So how do we live under the blessing of God in our relationships? I'll just take all of these ideas, if you'll let me, and just sum them up into a paragraph. We hold eternity in our perspective. The end of all things is near. Which gives us the ability to preserve our sanity and our sense of self-control because we have the right perspective so that we can pray and love each other with a love that's willing to be stretched to cover one another's mistakes and offenses and to serve one another out of that deep love that we have received from the Father. And we do these things with all of our relationships, but especially, Scripture is pointing out here, in the family of God, especially in the family of God. And I, I, like it's not just here in, in 1 Peter. It is all over the Scriptures in the New Testament, telling us to love one another, love one another, love one another. I also want you to love one another, and I need you to love one another. And, love one, and in the family of God, you need to love one another. He's not saying work really hard to love the world. Absolutely, we have to love our neighbor. But you know how many more times Scripture tells us to love one another inside the body of Christ? Over and over and over and over again. And so we might just want to pay attention to that and say, why, why, why is it that, is, that we keep getting warned about, I'm not mad at you today, you know? Like, and I think that's the idea, is to guard our hearts against what the enemy would want to do to divide us and to make it so that the church has the reputation in the world of people who fight, of people who are angry, people who are bitter. But no, we say, no, we are, oh, man, that hurt me. But I'll tell you what, I have hurt others too, and so I'm going to walk in forgiveness, and we are going to work to restore relationship because that's what Jesus did for me. And so when we practice it in this place, it changes what the world understands about who Jesus is. And I think that's why it's so often told to us over and over again, and absolutely, absolutely will inform your relationships outside of this place of, and outside of these relationships. I believe that with all my heart. So will this way that we just read about in 1 Peter, will it guarantee you perfect relationships? Ha ha, not at all. Not at all. There's no such thing as perfect relationships here on the earth because we're broken and we're fallen. You will hurt others and be hurt, I've said already. You will say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing and people will do the same to you. You will need to have healthy boundaries in your life. That's a, I was uh, working through some of these uh, concepts with Pastor Aaron uh, she's, so, she's so lucky, you guys. Sometimes she just gets a... So what do you think about in her office door? And it doesn't matter what she's doing. She's like, 
Yes, yeah. So I was talking about this with her, and we've been talking about this idea of healthy boundaries. And I was like, man, there's so much to be said about healthy boundaries too. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about unhealthy, toxic relationships here. Please understand. Please understand that. That's a, that's a conversation I think we probably should have and I'll find a way to teach about it and what the scriptures say about that. Protecting your heart and being, being wise, being, uh, being, being wise as serpents and gentle as doves, Jesus says, right? Being, being wise about what you do and how you spend your time and who you give access to your life and, those, and who can speak into your life. Those kinds of things we have to be wise about. It's, but it is a whole conversation. You do need to have healthy boundaries. And if you're struggling in that area, we can even just have a one-on-one conversation and, and we can maybe try to suss out what the differences is between what we just read in the scripture and what that means. But I also think that's what Peter is saying when he says, be alert and self-controlled so that you can pray. That's part of the healthy boundary in your life where you stay alert to what is healthy in your life to do this. There's no guarantee of perfect relationships, but here's the blessing. A heart that is eternity gazing and self-controlled and praying and loving and serving as a follower of Christ is the person who is able to humbly ask forgiveness, to make amends, and to be at peace with God and, at, and other people. And that, friends, is a blessed life. It's a blessed life. The humble life submitted to Christ in our relationships is a blessed life. Does this manipulate others in some way? No. I believe that this way, God's way, shows the love and grace that you've received in Christ. It puts it authentically on display for the people around you and who know you. I think this kind of, this kind of attitude and action uh, invites um, grace and truth into every conversation that you have. And, and it does not invite, in fact, it excludes stress and division and bitterness and anger that the enemy would sow into our relationships as often as possible. And I would even say to you that the, this eternal perspective that Peter is calling us to here reminds you that the struggle in your relationships is not against people, but it is in fact against the enemy of your soul who wants to steal and kill and destroy your life. Just never forget about that. And what better way to sow drama uh, than to sow drama and unkindness and misunderstanding into our relationships? Because when our relationships are struggling, we struggle. But I want you to remember what Ephesians 6, 10 to 13 says. It says, finally, and this is Peter, um, the other guy, Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus. <laughs> the other guy. He wrote a few things in the New Testament. Don't worry about it. You can figure it out later. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against, say it with me, flesh and blood, but against, read it, the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Then he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take, stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Sounds a lot like preserving your sanity, doesn't it? Preserving your sense of self-control. Understanding the eternal perspective. Your struggle is not against people. Your struggle is against the one who would sow bitterness and anger and, and misunderstanding into your relationships. And so we keep that eternal perspective, that spiritual perspective. And so I want to take a moment this morning together and do a couple of things. 
I want us to consider this. This is just a few verses from 1 Peter. Um, these things are, you know, extrapolated in different places in Scripture, too. I just felt like Peter had really uh, succinctly given us a perspective to help us. That we have to keep this eternal perspective. That we have to um, understand, to, to set up this healthy boundary for ourselves of preserving our sanity, preserving our sense of self-control so that we can pray, so we can understand the spiritual reality around us. And from that place, be able to love deeply, be able to forgive freely, be able to, um, to offer hospitality, to do it with an, a heart and attitude that, that doesn't grumble or complain but loves to do it and to serve one another and to be literally agents of God's grace in every place we go. We consider, we consider these things the scripture says to us, and I want to invite you today, as I have been doing, uh, as I've been preparing this message, that there are difficult people and difficult circumstances. Unfortunately, we can probably all name more than one person who is difficult in your life right now if, if for one reason or another. Maybe they're estranged from you. Maybe it's your own child and every, every kind of relationship in between. I want to just take some time in, in the presence of the Lord today and in the, and in the listening to and the, the hearing and receiving of the scriptures to consider some of those, those difficult relationships in our lives in light of these scriptures. I wonder if some of us have given up hope that there's ever a way through these relationships, if there's ever a, a way to actually forgive that you'll never be, you feel like you'll never be able to do it. You'll never be able to look them in the face again. You'll never be able to walk in a, in a healthy way with them again. Some of you have given up hope. I think there's probably some of us who are, our hearts are just so bitter and angry about something that has happened to us, some offense that has been made against us or some, whatever. There's just, I mean, the human story is it's so complex. And you just think, I am never going to be able to get over it. I cannot love in a way that would cover over that kind of sin. I just can't do it. And I wonder if in this moment that you would entertain the idea that perhaps the incredible love of Jesus pouring into your life might strengthen you to do just that, to let go of bitterness and anger and to walk free of those things. Perhaps there's been some hurt in your life that you just try not to think about and it's sort of in its own little closet and you're very happy with the door being closed to it. Every once in a while, it might try to peek its way out. Every once in a while, maybe something that else that is said and done triggers from that hurt but, um, or that trauma or whatever it is and it's sort of locked in a closet. And I would say to you, I believe the scriptures would say that those doors need to be open and those things given to Jesus. They're not battles you have to fight by yourself. These are all things that can be given to Jesus. And I wonder if in the most difficult circumstances and relationships in our lives, if we know that walking in these perspectives and allowing the grace and strength of Jesus to walk with us and trusting him, like to be able to give him, I heard this on Friday night, I don't even want to steal this message because I didn't, I wrote this way before that Friday night, we were at a women's event and she was talking about that exchange, I prayed it this morning, I couldn't help it, it was in my spirit, that exchange of beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, I think it's Isaiah 61. 
that, ex that incredible exchange where we take all of this brokenness and say, Jesus, this is literally what I have. I have this hurt and I have this bitterness and I have this unforgiveness and I have all of these things and they can't be fixed. So what are you going to do about it? Sometimes I pray like that. I don't know if it's very spiritual. But what are you going to do about it? Jesus goes, thanks for bringing that to me. Let me just take that for you. Let me carry that for you. You don't have to be under that. And I wonder if we read these scriptures and let them sit in our hearts. I wonder if this morning there would be a willingness to let go of some of those things. A willingness to choose to see how forgiven and loved that we are and have been and continue to be in Christ and would be able to offer that in other ways to people that, that we have not been able to. We have not even seen that, that need, but we realize now as we hear the word, there are just things we're holding on to. There's closets that need to be opened. There's some stuff that needs to be dragged out from under the bed, whatever. Wherever you hide your stuff. I don't know where your mess is, like whatever that is for you. So let's just, in the quietness of this space, I'll, I'll invite the, the team to come and, and just... I kept asking the Lord, like, where to land this message. I've been asking him for many, many days. And I just kept coming back to these questions. Like, I wonder if in this space we could just pray together and invite the Holy Spirit to change our perspective to change our hearts in any way that this needs to be changed so that we could do our lives God's way. I hope I've convinced you in the last three weeks that when we do things God's way, we do invite and choose blessing in our lives. Could we pray together that as we, we choose to do it God's way, that we'd be able to serve from genuine love, that we would get a, a new perspective on the things that have been holding on to us the things that we just think we just can't let go of. We just can't possibly forgive. We just can't possibly let go of the anger. There's just been too much water under the bridge. We just cannot do it. But maybe today the Holy Spirit is inviting you to say, yeah, you can, and I'm inviting you to be free, to choose the blessing that I'm offering to you in your relationships. I wonder if this morning we could pause and recognize the schemes of the enemy in our relationships and not see it as a battle against you versus me, but see it as a battle of, of us versus the one who would want to steal, kill, and destroy and say no to the schemes of the enemy and yes to the love and grace and forgiveness that we find in Christ and then offer to others. I know this journey, friends. I know it so intimately. I'm going to tell you that Jesus shows up every single time you offer him something from your heart. Every time. So I wonder if you would just pray with me and offer these things. I'm just going to be in, in just in, maybe this is the quietest moment you've had for a week. <laughs> Let's be quiet for a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to speak point out anything in our lives that we would just be needing to pull out from under that bed or that closet or that place that it's been hiding. Give it to him in exchange. Show us Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come.
teach us to see the spiritual battle. Teach us to understand the forgiveness and grace of Christ in our lives. Holy Spirit, reveal the love of Jesus to us in a way that would remind us how much we have been given by him. Spirit, I ask for you to fill us with courage today. The courage to love those who are so difficult to love and to trust you with their lives. Holy Spirit, I pray for the courage to forgive. We don't want to walk in disobedience to your word we know we are called to forgive we are commanded to forgive and that we cut ourselves off from forgiveness if we if we don't and we don't want to live like that we want to live under your blessing we want to obey the commands of Christ but we know it's difficult feels like we're letting somebody off the hook but you've said that's not that's not what this is about you you, you've got to trust me with that you've got to trust me with that Holy Spirit, we invite you to give us courage to forgive so that we can be free. Holy Spirit, I invite you to give us the courage this morning to see ourselves for who we really are. Help us to have a, a, an understanding of what we have been forgiven. Of all of the ways that we have rebelled against you of all the ways that we have needed to receive forgiveness from you and from others in our lives. Give us a picture, Lord. Not so that we could feel like we're, uh, we're a worm and a wretch because we, we need that understanding so that full of grace and full of forgiveness ourselves and full and overflowing with the love of Jesus for us, we can reach out from that place. God, give us the courage, Holy Spirit, this morning to see who we are so that in confidence and with gratitude, we can offer that as an overflow of our lives to the people around us.
Holy Spirit, give us the courage to love. Give us the ability to see eternity so that we can stay um, in our hearts and minds the way that you have created us to, to see not just the present circumstance, not just the present difficulty, not just that difficult coworker or family member, not just that child who's rebelling against the things that we've been teaching them, not just, not just like whatever it is, that we don't just see that, but we understand that there is so much more here and that you can be trusted with all of it and that you have given us everything we need in order to respond in a way that honors you that is in keeping with your word and invites blessing. Let us see it, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. And so we receive your blessings, Lord. We receive the freedom that comes as we exchange the brokenness in our lives for the beauty the ashes in our lives for the beauty, when we exchange the grieving and mourning in our lives for the oil of joy, when we exchange the heaviness in our lives for the garment of praise, the ability to worship you in every circumstance, we receive the blessings, the, the, the characteristics of a blessed life. We receive it with faith and gratitude this morning. Teach us to walk in it. Teach us to walk in it, Jesus. We thank you for it. Lord, we thank you for it.